Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Greetings and salutations, podcast listeners all around the world. Welcome to episode 299 of Life in the Stocks. That sounds so good. I'm going to say it again. 299 episodes. That's how many we've done over the course of the last seven years. Episode 300 lands next week. It is one of my favorite episodes to date. It is an incredible and epic way to end Series 3. And this is a truly exceptional way to approach the end of the series as well with the penultimate episode of series three. Uh, my guest this week is the amazing Danita Sparks from L7. Uh, Danita is somebody I've wanted on the show for years. She's been a dream guest for many, many, many years. I'd never interviewed her before this moment. We'd never met or spoken before this moment, before this conversation that you're about to hear. Uh, and she just proved to be every bit as lovely and wonderful and badass as I hoped she would be. Um, so I want to say a massive thank you to Danita for coming on the show. Uh, we had such a wonderful conversation. You are going to love it. If you're a fan of L7, we, we touch on everything you would hope. And if you're you know kind of not really that familiar or au fait with the band beyond their smash hit single, Pretend We're Dead, this is as good a place as any um, to learn about you know the journey, the story so far. There's also an amazing documentary on the band which I watched before talking to Danita, and I highly recommend it. It's called Also Pretend We're Dead, the story of L7. And uh, yeah, it was just a beautiful, fun, life-affirming conversation with an amazing artist and a badass woman. And as we approach episode 300 of the show, I've been, as I tend to do, reflecting and looking back on the the podcast journey so far. Uh, And I want to just say like a big, Big thank you at this moment. Um, I'll say it again next week as, as we wrap up Series 3 with, with the all-important Episode 300. But I wanted to also say as we approach that moment in time, a big thank you to all of the guests who've been on this show, all of the amazing musicians and comedians and filmmakers and photographers and just exceptional creative people that have shared their stories and their you know inspirations and their triumphs, their struggles their life, really, their soul with me and with you. And 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 you, really, the people who listen to this show are the people who keep the lights on. Um, as it goes, I've been so fortunate at so many events over the years, gigs and festivals, and or even in the street. I've just had so many people come up to me over the years and, and just take a minute to say, hey, Matt, just wanted to say, love the show. You know, discovered it through this episode then went on to listen to you know episodes a b c d x y and z and and so on and have 
have just been with you you know for x amount of time and have thoroughly enjoyed some of the the chats that you've had and shared so yeah i want to just i feel grateful i feel grateful for where i'm at in my life um it's been a mad journey the show it started out as something that i hoped would be a kind of a full-time professional paid endeavor and there's been various moments in time where i felt like it's nearly become that and then through covid and through writing the books based around this show which if you haven't already please do uh investigate and and perhaps purchase a copy they're available from all good online bookstores life in the stocks volumes one and two but i kind of reached a point coming out of covid where i decided that i was no longer going to try and chase the money or make this show a financial venture Uh, and since making that decision and making peace with that my enjoyment of it has drastically improved and and deepened and now i just do this show purely and simply for the love but the rewards that have come from it far extend any financial figure uh, and that's ultimately for me what's what's really important as i do reflect on the last 299 episodes it's all just about the relationships that have been forged with both the guests and with you the people who listen so uh one more time a big big thank you a sincere heartfelt thank you to each and every one of you for being a part of the the journey so far and long may it continue i'm going at least up to episode 500 we'll see Uh, i feel like 500 i've always sort of had in my head like 500 i want to get there and I feel like that would be an awesome, you know, milestone to end on. But that's still four years away. So uh, for now, we'll keep cranking them out and we'll keep going deep and, and sharing, you know, personal and uh, emotional and hopefully inspirational stories with with exceptional human beings and creatives such as this lady right here. Um, so please enjoy, my friends, episode 299 of Life in the Stocks with Danita Sparks from L7. Hey, Danita, I don't know whether you're logged on or in. I can see your your name on the screen, but no audio or visual. Oh, there we go. Connected to audio. Can you hear me? Hey. Yeah. I can, Hi, I, how's it going? I'm really good. Really good. I can hear you. I can't see you. I'm not looking lovely right now, but here's a little, here's a little teaser. Well, if it makes you feel any better, it's an audio-only show anyway. This is mainly just because I like to. But if you want to do camera off, I'm happy yeah, to do camera it, off. Yeah, I, I distract myself with my own beauty. I, I hear um, you. i tell you, you what, what we're going to do then. I'm going to go audio-only as well, and then we're both just in the conversational zone. Is that Beautiful. cool with you? Yeah, that's great. Lovely. All right, well, lovely to, to make contact over the lovely to make contact thanks for having me on your show oh such a pleasure such a pleasure there's so much i'm excited to talk to you about all right on the count of three let's flip formats we're going to take this and i just turn off the it says stop video or what do i do if you just hit stop video everything else should remain the same we'll be in sync and and still recording so are you with me three see you in my eardrums two one and and we're off lovely stuff (laughs) 
Hey, so listen, I'm having the best day already today because for a once in a blue moon time here in England, obviously you've been here many times over the years, you know the drill. Um, it's very rarely sunny and beautiful in the UK. And today the sun's shining. I got my Beach Boys t-shirt on and uh, I've had my headphones on. I've been walking around the city of Bristol where I live all day listening to L7's entire back catalogue of music. Um, oh God. Oh, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather be listening to the beach boys, but <laughs> personally, well, uh, the beach boys will get their time. If I ever get to sit down and do one of these with Brian Wilson, then maybe I'll dedicate a day to them. But today was all about you and I loved it. What a magical yay. trip down just some of the best, most raucous and wild and amazing rock and roll records. And it was, you know, it's been a while since I've, really gone down the l7 rabbit hole um we have a mutual friend in the lovely Har harriet bevan um from the band black moth oh yeah um, yeah i love harriet and black moth what a great band a great band and the first time i saw you guys perform live was when they supported you i guess in was it 2015 when you came over here and played london with black moth yes i think it was we played Glasgow with them as well. Yeah. And I just, I'd never caught you back in the day. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd seen stock footage and, and just was so amazed and impressed at how physical and, and brilliant you guys were live always. Um, oh, thank you. And getting the chance to see you then. And I know that Harriet has, uh, you know, loved you for many years. She said how much it meant to her, not only supporting you guys, but also, you know, forming a, a connection and a bond with you and i know you're something of a mentor to her so that was really lovely to kind of experience that side of, of your comeback through their eyes as well yeah you know uh it's strange because i mean yeah, it's like i'm older but i think i'm in better shape than i than i was uh back in the day i don't know like i uh i just think listen we, we i think our strong hand was always our live show uh, and there was, a, there was maybe more hijinks back in the day on stage, but now we're just, I'm just really into like delivering the goods and like just fucking, you know, sounding really good and tight and, um, and, and, uh, giving the audience the good time instead of us on stage, giving each other a good time. You know what I mean? So, uh, <laughs> Like for me, it's all about the audience and their experience and, uh, you know, screw my good time. <laughs> well, you had them, right? You, you definitely had them. And what one thing I think that the documentary does exceptionally well, because, um, you know, a large part of that film is just, I guess, stock footage and, and, you know, stuff you'd acquired back in the day, almost like home movie tapes. But those home movie tapes happen to have been, you know, with four friends on the road in one of the most exciting times for music, playing just these incredibly carefree shows that the energy of that time is captured perfectly in the film, um, even to the point where all your roadies look like they're having more fun than you guys as a band. I was like, if there's one thing I wish I could have done more than see L7 live back in the day, it's been a crew member for the band. <laughs> be careful what you wish for <laughs> it was a great uh, film and i looked up the woman so sarah price who made it she's responsible for one of i think 
the best documentaries ever, uh, which more people should, obviously everybody should go check out the L7 Pretend You're Dead one, but Sarah also made the brilliant American movie documentary, which I saw as a kid late at night on TV, had no context going into it. Have you seen that film? Oh, yes. Um, and she <laughs> had a partner in there, um, Chris. Oh, God, I forgot his name. But um, he's like a, a pretty big director right now. But yes, they made um, American movie together. So, uh, you know, we, we felt, um, you know, listen, we had the footage. You know, we knew yeah. what we had. And but I and I'll say we did not hand over control because we don't handle it. We just don't handle it hand over control, you know, especially with our own home movies. So it's like, I was very, very much a part of the edit and selections and, and, and stuff like that. And telling our story because only, only we know our story really, you know, so, and some things were withheld from that, you know, because they're too personal or they're too, um, you know, airing dirty laundry to the public, uh, you know, so um, it, but I think, a lot of people, uh, a lot of artists connect with that, with our documentary, because it, it's just, uh, you know, the choices you make and um, sometimes things go great and sometimes they all collapse. So it's kind of a, uh, I, I've been told by people that it is, a, um, that it's pretty truthful in the um, arc of a band. Yeah, I think you've always been a band's band as well, although you've obviously enjoyed massive success over the years. You were always that, I think, and you always kind of straddled many different lines, whether it was the, you know, the whole kind of punk rock scene or then the grunge scene, even just that more kind of metally end of 90s alternative music. There's not many bands that could go from Warp to Lollapalooza to Reading Festival here in the UK and dip your toe in all of these different, you know, sub ends of the overall alternative spectrum and carry not only you know yourselves well on stage but also win over the approval of the fans and the bands on the bill um that is quite a rare thing i think and something you guys should definitely be proud of and are probably yeah, aware I mean, of. yeah considering you know <laughs> Susie and i are art punks so mm. you know it's like um the fact that we're playing metal festivals and punk rock festivals and alternative festivals is just really so great. What we don't really get are the art punk festivals. Right. Is, yeah. Yeah. Which is really ironic. But, um, you know, uh, we we wanted a hard rock band with a punk rock with an art punk aesthetic and approach. And that's what we ended up doing. So but the fact that we are embraced into the various tribes of of rock and roll is really, really great. And, and, um, uh, and in particular for, you know, a band of all women, I think that that's super rare. So, uh, we're, we're pretty happy about that. Yeah. Well, one thing I really noticed from watching the documentary and seeing all the footage of you four together is every single member of the band was a rock star in their own right. And again, I think it's quite rare that all four or however many members are in the band every single individual is exactly that is an individual larger than life you take out one and it's not the same combination of combustible elements and i think that's what always made l7 special is it's a full gang it's not just a singer and a lead guitarist and the rest are kind of just there playing supporting roles 
did it always seem that way from when it was that classic lineup with D on the drums after the first album's done? And I love, you know, obviously listened to the first album. That's where my musical journey today began. And I love that album. It's a great, uh, what it is, it's a great, fun, you know, punk rock and roll record. But then you obviously do Smell the Magic. And even just the first two songs alone on the album, Shove and Fast and Frightening, you're like, oh my God, um, such brilliant songwriting, playing. Was it evident from the time the four of you first got together in a room and, and played music that you had something special and that you were going to, you know, go places? Well, I think when we finally got D in the band, it was like, oh, wow, this sounds like, you know, it's, it finally sounded like what Susie and I were hearing in our heads, you know, like um, the, when we would write a song, you know, when D came in the band, she, she's just so solid and just, just such a natural, you know, like her, her feel is just, it really jives with mine. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, as soon as she started playing, Susie and I looked at each other like, oh, okay, now this is our drummer, you know? So she was really the, the final piece that made us, I, I feel, um, sound like L7. Tell me about when you first met Susie and that meeting and, and the feelings that were felt. And was it evident that you two were, you know, meant to be musical collaborators from the get go? Did it feel like you'd found a kindred spirit from the moment you two first interacted? Not really. Right. Um, we're very different people, you know, and, um, you know, we were both party girls in different ways, you know, like, uh, but, um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think I, I say this in the documentary, but like at different times of the band's career, you know, one of us was a mess, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. When I first met Susie, she was kind of, you know, uh, I would see her kind of drunk a lot and, you know, like, not like I was an angel, but it was just kind of like, Ooh. So I think that I, I had trepidation about working with her and she had trepidation about working with me. So the fact that we actually got together is, is um, pretty wild, but we, we had mutual friends and a lot of it revolved around people who worked at the LA weekly, which was kind of like the village voice of LA, you know, like a weekly arts free magazine that had show listings and all that stuff. Um, so we knew a lot of people there and we had both worked at the LA weekly. So we met through friends of friends and, uh, you know, and did speed for a couple weekends and, you know, wrote some songs. <laughs> now, was like, was it hey. just you two that were wild, like wilder than others? Or was everybody on that scene at that time all pretty loose in their own way? Um, everybody on the scene or everybody in the band? Well, I guess everybody in the scene, first of all, like was the whole thing kind of fueled by a fast, you know, pace of life and perhaps living on the edge being the theme overriding everybody's journey for at least a while. Well, we were the fastest I knew of. I mean, you know, like I said, we're from the art punk scene and, and some of that involves really out there people, which is great. And yeah. some of it involves um, college grads who studied art and maybe are a little more timid because they've got more to lose than the, than the cuckoos, you know? So uh, there was, there was, um, there was a combo of of those people. So, and then Jennifer was from the LA punk rock scene, and she got involved in that scene very young, like fourteen and uh, thirteen, something like that. 
and D was from Chicago and she was, um, you know, D loves to dance. Any excuse to dance, <laughs> D's up there rocking. So, uh, we, you know, we all, we all, um, like you say, we were all um, unique individuals. And somehow when we came together, uh, magic happened because we're not the closest of friends and we've never been the closest of friends. It was really the music that brought us together and the desire to be in a rock and roll band and have that experience. So, you know, that that uh, took precedent over um, friendship, you know, yeah, which is kind of it's kind of interesting, you know, like when you're in a band, you have to navigate personalities and they're not all like yours. And, um, but if there's a love of the music, you know, and if you're do, you know, and if you're getting bigger and better, then there's a reason to, uh, you know, deal with other people's shit, you know, including my own. So, um, you know, we're not you two. We, we weren't mates from, school you know what i mean i really admire bands like that and and envy bands like that but but we are not that yeah that is interesting you say that and i appreciate the honesty there and the self-awareness because if you're only aware of the band's story through just for instance that documentary it looks in that from a lot of that footage like you are the best of friends and you're all partying together and having fun and you look like a proper gang um but as you say i think sometimes when you're young and it's the music and it's the passion for creativity and performance that's really what's driving you. And sometimes the universe puts you into these situations with the right people and you're fortunate in that sense. But it doesn't necessarily mean if that thing wasn't there that you all shared, that you would be hanging out together um, exactly. in any form. Yes, exactly. No, it's, it's a, a people, you know, I even had friends saying, oh, you know, your documentary is just like, Four best friends who, who did all right, you know, and I'm like, we're not best friends, you know, like we're, we, we're colleagues and we certainly, when we get together, we have a lot of fun and we've got uh, similar senses of humor, but you know, I'm not an astrology buff or anything like that, but we've got three fire signs. I hear that that's quite feisty. Um, <laughs> and I also think that to be in a band like we have, and when we started out, you had to be a special kind of female to be playing that kind of music. Um, so we're all like, it's like we've got a band of alphas and it's the fight for the alpha spot. You know, it's like there's there's not, you know, it's it's the alpha band. So um, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. Yeah, for sure. And makes for, you know, ex really exciting art. Um, how were the sort of peers that you were around at that time in their treatment of you guys, were they all supportive and cool on the large or was there like, you know, bullshit that you had to contend with as four women in a largely male scene? Um, I don't think, you know, most of the guy bands, they didn't, they weren't that hung up on us or our gender. They thought we rocked. Um, yeah. and they certainly, we would pal around with them or we would, date them or, uh, you know, you, you, you go on, you know, you meet people on the road and you end up sleeping with them, uh, sometimes or not. But, um, I think, I think probably the biggest obstacles in that area 
of just people who didn't get us at all or, or were threatened by us or um, just did not want to support us at all. Those were people more like certain promoters, record labels, um, radio DJs. Uh, you know, it wasn't really it wasn't really the guy bands. They weren't the problem. It was the it was the gatekeepers, you know. So that was that that was tough sometimes. Yeah, and we're obviously, you know, 30, 40 years on from that time, and that remains true. I think it's the same contingent of uh, people in the industry and, and community that, you know, hold certain areas back from advancing because of the threat or perceived threat in their little brains. Um, who were some of the most fun bands to tour with from that kind of, mid 90s period on because you were obviously right there with a front row seat to the explosion of that alternative boom you'd been doing it for a few years before never mind you know blows the gates open because i guess before then the ceiling for underground bands was maybe like in your wildest dreams a hundred thousand records sold and then oh, yeah. obviously never mind comes out and then you know suddenly it's over a million is the new ballpark and so everybody's getting signed up and it's all kicking off and you're going out on the road and I'm sure doing some incredible tours with such brilliant, talented bands, uh, yourselves included. Who were the most fun that you had, you know, road journeys with during those times? Uh, we had, uh, gosh, let's see. Um, Fugazi were really fun, you know, and a lot of people were like, Fugazi were fun. It's like those guys <laughs> are really funny, you know, so it's like you, what they present on stage isn't necessarily what, what how they are all the time, you know, um, Fugazi helmet. We had a lot of fun with the Melvins. We had fun with Nirvana, of course, um, the Luna chicks. We had a really fun time hanging out with those gals. Uh, it's great to see them back as well. I know really I'm, I'm going to be interviewed for their documentary, um, tomorrow. So I better Amazing. get my, better get my story straight, but, um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, they were really fun. And we toured with Love Battery. Those guys were great. And Tad, they were great. So we, you know, and the, and the cool thing was that we got to see so many of these bands on the side of the stage, which was really exciting. Like we saw Nirvana once and I was watching them and I was like, this is like Beatlemania. Like this is amazing. I mean, that's an exaggeration, I suppose. Nothing's like Beatlemania, but. Um, As close it was, to it for that time though, right? Yeah, I mean, to see their rise was really, you know, their meteoric rise was, was uh, I felt like I was witnessing history, and I was. So um, uh, I'm you glad. Were, you were aware of that in the moment, were you? Because often yes. you're not, I guess, because it's just, you know, you're, you're caught up in the, the momentum of everything. But with that, it was the signal of a, a, a change in tides, was it? Quite oh, yes. Oh, yes. And uh, I was like, wow, you know, and. Of course, I was a little, you know, uh, jealous, you know, but not in a crappy way, but just like, oh, yeah, of course, this, it's a natural is, reaction, isn't it? I, you know, I wish the, I wish this is going on for us, too. And it was to a certain degree, but not, of course, by the uh, at the level that, that those guys were, um, you know, but they were a very good band. And, and Kurt was an outstanding songwriter and singer. And um, so, you know, I. It's like sometimes you see a band and they really make it big and you're like, come on, they're not that great. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. 
but Nirvana, it's but like, with no. them, you're like, no, exactly, exactly. They so really are that cool. great. And you, really were are. you in the studio with Butch whilst Nevermind was literally like coming out and you're working on Bricks Are Heavy in that exact window of time, right? We went down to the recording of Nevermind a couple times just to hang out. Uh, D, our drummer's husband, played cello on um, Something in the Way. So we were down there while he was playing cello and hanging out. And they came to, uh, when we signed to Slash Records, we had a bachelorette party. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, and the, the Nirvana guys came to the party because we were like signing the next day. So it was our, you know, we were making it seem like it was our last big hurrah in the underground or something. So, uh, so that was fun. And um, sorry, if you hear a strange noise in the background, that's my cat. No and worries. Pets are always cool. welcome. Yeah, she's very old and she's she's yowling and it's she's not in pain. She's just she's got a little uh, she's just got a little confusion. But um, yeah, so that was uh, I'm trying to think of who else. Hmm. And then when we played Lollapalooza, there were a lot of cool bands we toured with, like the Breeders and George Clinton and the BC Boys, and, uh, Tribe Called Quest, Smashing Pumpkins uh oh nick cave and the bad seeds those guys are a blast um <clears throat> we got to be very good chums with uh nick cave and the bad seeds on Lollapalooza. so um what a man I, I love that dude he paints in very dark strokes but he has such a wicked sense of humor that comes through in his songwriting and in the novels that he's written um and i loved seeing it was only a short little snippet but i love seeing that footage of of him and you guys just partying on the bus together. <laughs> yes. I, 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 I don't know if he's seen it or if he um, approves of that, but, you know, um, I think it's pretty cool for people to see that side of him, which he doesn't show very much. And he really, you know, he's a, he can be a joyful person, believe it or not. But most of the time he's, he's pretty, um, you know, it's like, he's, 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 he seems to be creating in his head a lot as he's observing things, you know? So it's, so uh, it's fun to kind of get him laughing. Yeah. Well, he's committed to the brand, isn't he? So when you get the guy behind the image that he shares with the world, that is obviously a rare and special thing. It shows trust on his part and that he's relaxed. And um, yeah. Yeah. What yes. A what a cool cat. And yeah. that, that Reading bill, I mean, you know, obviously I gather you guys didn't have the best time again from seeing the documentary. I wouldn't have had any idea of that otherwise, but you're just saying it was just sound issues the whole time, which just, you know, as a performer is like the, the one thing that's going to kill your enjoyment of the experience is having, you know, shit on stage sound. But the backstage antics that day must have been something for the history books. When you look at who was there from the aforementioned Melvins and Nick Cave to screaming trees and mud honey and yourselves obviously nirvana a kind of you know crowning day for for alternative music and obviously you know the footage of that lives on in the the kind of live video that nirvana shared what a day to be you know right there in the magic in the mix yeah you know our our earlier performance where you know you know like here's the thing like we were so excited to be invited to play Reading because 
as you say, it, it, you know, you were talking about the crown, you know, backstage, you know, but like we considered it like you play well at Reading, you might get a crown, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, yeah. And we played all right, I guess, but it was, we were just thrown off our game by the, by the mud, you know, and it was, it was hitting us. We were being, it was like, you know, it's so weird because like at the time I just tried to play it off a bit, but it, it was assault. We were being assaulted by mud and it's like, uh-huh. um, you know, it, it, it made it and mud honey got it too, you know, cause mud is in their name and stuff. But I have to say, like, I was at the time just questioning, is there a misogynistic bent going on here from some people in the crowd? I couldn't, because I know our fans would not throw mud at us, you know? So it's like, well, who's who's throwing mud, you know? Like, uh, who's throwing mud at a bunch of women? I mean, come on, dudes, please, you know? So, like, um, I have to say I was, uh, that was a disappointing gig, and uh, Jennifer and I knew it as soon as we got off stage, we just looked at each other like, what the fuck just happened? You know, this was supposed to be our like, you know, launch pad. And then it it uh, it kind of didn't really go up from there. So it was, you know, bittersweet, my man, bittersweet. Yeah. And, you know, I think um, I don't know whether there was a time when that stopped. I guess there must have been because it doesn't happen anymore. But as I started going to Reading a little bit later in the nineties, towards the you know the start of the two thousands, it had moved to bottling, and and it was bottles that were thrown, and there was there was still performing you know performances getting rained on in that regard too, and it's you know it's not even if it's from a good place as you say this feels it's hard to interpret this as anything other than an attack, right? Yeah, yes, definitely, definitely, especially you know. <laughs> You know, as I say again, uh, I don't think I, I don't think there were any other women on that bill except the ABBA tribute band. <laughs> so on that stage, you know what I mean. So it's yeah. like you know, and you, your mind will wander. You know, if you're if you're a female band or a black band or whatever, like, well, why yeah. are they throwing mud? You know, so like, uh, it's just part of the. Um, uh, I went there in my head, you know, for sure. Yeah, but, I, under- I understand what you're saying. You know what I mean? mean? Yeah. At least you gave as good as you got, though, Danita. Fuck those clowns. Oh, I, that's <laughs> right. I forgot about that. I forgot about my retort. Um, <laughs> yes, hey, listen, I, I wanted to ask you this. Am I right in thinking you were on the same episode of The Word as Oliver Reed that time when he was notoriously out of his mind as well, because that was always the thing growing up that stuck out in my mind um, from that particular episode. Uh, And again, it was only watching the documentary and this isn't discussed in the documentary, but you see you guys on the word and I'm like, amazing. Just, I I always support that kind of behavior. I back it. I think it's rock and roll (laughs) and a good time. And I think you're a badass for doing it, but was it the same episode as when Oliver Reed was tanked up backstage? It was indeed. Wow. And I think who else was on there? Ned's Atomic Dustbin. Uh-huh. The Birmingham band where I'm from. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that them and um, oh, what's that um comedian's name who passed away? Uh American guy. Um, I don't know. He's very very big, but I, I can't I can't for the life of me remember his name. But um yes, Oliver Reed. And I Chaos. Put me in the picture. What was that? set like must have just been anarchy (laughs) 
well or were you creating the anarchy and it was boring and and the anarchy was actually there as a construct to you know mix things up and inject some excitement in an otherwise sterile tv studio well they had a a a male bum contest going on and which i find you know i I was like this i wouldn't like this if this were women and i don't like this that it's men and they're judging their asses how stupid you know like i was like really this is like wow lowest common denominator shit here and Mm -hmm. um so uh and then I thought that the Oliver Reed thing was really um, catty and crappy. Uh, yeah, you know, tragic, he, really. You know, he's somebody I've always looked up to as a great talent. Um, obviously, he was a renowned Hellraiser, and his book, Evil Spirits, is a great read that gets a lot into his exploits. But there was something really tragic and depressing about that particular clip, which is why it always stood out. Yeah, and I, I thought what was tragic and depressing was that they were invading his privacy like that. It's like I've, I had seen him on talk shows in the U.S. where, you know, he'd be wasted and the talk show, you know, but it would be funny because the host would go at it with him and he would he would usually give a reply that was funnier than what the uh, comedic host would throw at him. So it was like, OK, these are two masters going, you know, teasing each other and one of them's wasted. And that seemed like fair game to me. Yeah. Um, if the guy goes on, uh, you know, and, and um, agrees to be interviewed, it's like, Hey, if you get wasted, that's on you, man. But like to be in his dressing room, filming him, I just, you know, here I am. I'm known for being this person who's like, anything goes, you know, but like, I, I sound really like prudish right now, but I just thought it was well, like, there's oh. righteous anger right that that's kind of your it's you know obviously don't know you this is the first time we've ever spoken but it seems to me that you care about the things that you care about and you're willing to stand up for them and in some cases trow down or or do whatever else might you know be called by the occasion but it's trying to expose hypocrisy and you know challenge the the bullshit that you see in front of you yeah, I mean, you know, with that bum contest, I'm like, I'm taking off my pants, you know, like if they want to see a bum, they're going to see my fucking bum. But um, yeah, I just, you know, I, and I think that there was something about um, British press back in the day, too, that yeah. really liked to tear down legends and really liked to build them up and then tear them down. That was that was like a thing, you know, and it doesn't seem to be that way anymore at least maybe we're being treated a little bit better, but. Um, do you know what uh, I think it is, is now the internet gives everybody the power to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of, you know, diluted their game. Um, yes, I, I yes. don't necessarily think the British press, not the music press particularly, but the press, and, and it's definitely areas of the music press. I don't think they grew up and, and gained a conscience. What I think it is, is just now it's like anybody can talk shit. So they don't have the power to talk shit from the Eiffel Tower, and so it's less appealing, perhaps. Yeah, and also if they do talk shit, they're not going to get the interview because there's so much competition. It's like, okay, fine, NME, you want to talk shit? Well, then we're not doing an interview with you. We're going to do it with like an online thing or something, you know. What I, and I'm just using NME as a, as an example, but um, I have been told by a British press person that that is kind of the, you know, we don't have bands don't have to speak with the Play same the game anymore yeah exactly exactly so that's good yeah you know hell yeah. yeah a certain level of freedom of speech um yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Uh, this is something I really wanted to ask you about because I think this is an area of the L7 legacy that doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, and perhaps that was because it was more US centric. And so perhaps that information didn't trickle over here to the UK from where I'm talking to you. Uh, but the Rock for Choice concerts and movement that you guys started early 90s, right? Even before you were a quote unquote, you know, mainstream commodity, uh, it seemed like that was something you were from the early days of L7's journey spearheading yeah. um talk to me about that the importance of that topic then and indeed now and, and and what that rock for choice movement you think achieved looking back well uh you know abortion was under attack and nobody was really um uh, shining a spotlight on it in the pop world in the rock world and so we decided to do a concert uh with the um, Feminist Majority Foundation, who are like hardcore activists, like humorless, amazing activists, you know what I mean? And so here we come to meet them at a conference table and they were very uh, wary of, you know, can we trust this band to pull this off and to not, you know, make fools of the issue or make fools of us or whatever. And so they, they jumped and, and, um, and it turned into a massive organization, Rock for Choice, with uh, many, many um, concerts all over the country, raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for, um, uh, to protect clinics and um, to pay for attorneys to fight people who were attacking clinics and to defend clinics. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was cool, and we pulled it off. And that was before we signed to a major label. So. Uh, we knew Nirvana, and they said they'd do it. And uh, whole the first one was Nirvana, Whole, Us, and Sister Double Happiness. So, and then more came after that. So, and and it uh, it took up a lot of our time for for a few years, and then we started to step back from it, and then it kind of fizzled out. But um, uh, but I I feel that um, you know, we did some good there. We brought awareness. And uh, we brought in funds. So, uh, and I, you know, and who better than us to do that, really? You know, so it was a success. Yeah. Kudos to you. I think there's a lot to be said for, um, you know, action as well. You know, it's all well and good saying thoughts and prayers and things like this. I stand by, et cetera. But um, until you get out there and, and do it, because movements need money, don't they? Um, <laughs> They and do. if you can put on amazing rock shows with kick-ass bands in the process, it's like everybody's a winner. Yeah, and then you know, uh, sadly, as it as time went on and the abortion issue was still so under attack and everything, um, it, the the uh, the focus of a lot of the press interviews we were doing was very heavy on abortion rights and stuff. And it's like we're not experts. <laughs> you yeah, know I mean? we never pretended to be experts. I, I don't like politics, you know, I, I vote, but I'm just like, ugh, I don't like mm -hmm. any of them, you know, like, so, um, you know, it, it, we've gotten to a position where it was like, oh, well, don't you know these things? Don't you know what bill just passed? And it's like, we're not, you know, we're not politicians. So that's, that's one of the reasons we started to step back from it, because it's like, look, we're not, you know. We, we just wanted to do something positive and cool, you know. 
Yeah, it's a bit of a bum out in this life. This is throughout time, I think, the theme of human history. But whenever you try and step up and, and make positive change, your motives are always questioned. And then like everything around the thing you're fighting for is called up and you're just like, oh, my God, like I, I didn't go to college to train to do this. That is, if anything, the politician's job. That's their one job. <laughs> yeah, we're just yeah. pe- we're just citizens trying to make a difference through art let's leave it at that can we not yeah and i think that um i think that the more you know i think that very few bands stick their neck out politically you know mm-hmm. and in fact of the era we probably had more um cultural uh political veiled commentary in our lyrics than most of our peers did. Um, what they were singing about maybe was frustration or blah, 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 blah. We were singing about like stuff that was affecting us personally or stories that we had heard of friends or whatever. So, um, you know, and if you stick your neck out, then people really like to hold your feet to the fire about every fucking issue on the planet. And it's like, look, man, so, you know, like somebody, you know, somebody gave me shit about smoking cigarettes. I was just like, well, you know, I'm a... <laughs> you know, because of big tobacco. And it's like, well, look, I can't, I can't go barefoot and naked. And (laughs) yeah, I can't live in a tree guys. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, so it's, there's that too. And, uh, well, it's never enough, is it? It's never enough. Like it's never enough. And and even you do from from the left and the right, you're not doing enough. Why don't you do more stuff for more organizations? It's like, Oh my God. Yeah, it was. It I, we, does make you want to do nothing, doesn't it? You get indignant. You're like, oh man. Yeah, well, you know, it's like it's like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Some people thought, oh, they're too political. Other people thought, you know, they're not political enough. And it's like, well, fuck you all. We are what we are, and our main objective is to be a good rock band. That's it. And anything else is how we can help out or how we can. Uh, but you know, we, we've got a job to do and that's, that's being a good band. And that was our main objective always. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team, if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation, they said, yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. When did it start to get difficult? When did the wheels start to come off before the band broke up in, is it 2001? You originally? Yeah. Um, well, when did it begin to, you know, the cracks begin to form? You're like, oh man, keeping this together is going to be a full time shoot well, from this our, moment our, on. Our second kind of major label album, uh, Hungry for Stink, 
It was a cool album. I love that album. It didn't do as well as our previous record. And, you know, the suits don't like that. And so, you know, the enthusiasm starts to wane and, you know, um, other bands come out and they're, they're very exciting because they're, they're new to the scene and uh, they're getting a lot of press and you're just kind of, you know, uh, it's so that, amazing how quickly you can become yesterday's news, isn't it? Yes. Certainly then, certainly then more so, I think, than now. But And that yes. record is awesome. Having just heard it again only a matter of hours ago, um, stuck there again, one of that tunes on that record. I really like that one. Very kind yeah. of sarcastic and fun. Um, but yeah. just, yeah, a great, a great L7 album. I think as well, talking earlier on a little bit about the expectation in the wake of, of Nevermind, it was almost doomed to fail for every band, Nirvana obviously included, from that moment <laughs> on, wasn't it? It's like, how can any of us live up to that? Yeah, um, and there were expectations. I remember Butch Vig told me, yeah, you know, my my attorney said that you guys are going to be the next Nirvana. I was like, what? You know, so it's like even Butch was hearing that from his attorney. And it's like, well, God damn, that's a high bar, you know? Um, so... Uh, and you know, listen, there are some people who like us as much as Nirvana, you know, but, but the, the high bar was also getting the kind of radio airplay that they got and the, and the support they got from, uh, their record label and just the full court press for those guys. So, uh, you know, that was interesting. And then, um, you know, after Hungry for Stink, when we were recording the beauty process, our next album Jennifer quit the band and she started, she, she, um, she had her own band and she wanted to give that a go. And uh, so that left us without Jennifer and um, we got through the recording. Okay. But then we had to find a replacement for her. And, you know, some fans were disappointed, but we, we got a really good replacement for her, Gail Greenwood, who had been in belly and uh, she's a great performer, but um you know, listen, I, I also just think that. Um, big Glenn, shoes to fill, weren't they? Uh, they were big shoes to fill, but um, Jennifer was always an excellent live performer. Just just fantastic. But um, Gail's pretty damn good, too. So I think we got that. But I, I just think that at that time, grunge was becoming passe and we were labeled as a grunge band, even though I feel that we our repertoire was expanding and more more uh pop beauty was coming into our songs and um you know the sides of us that i tried to to um to not expose or keep down because uh because i wanted to um be a tough rock band but in in true in, truly i i love the beatles and stuff you know i love nancy sinatra i love uh you know, so I love pop, like sixties, fifties pop. So, yeah, I, I, we, I was letting those sides of me come out, and uh, as was Susie. So, uh, so, so, but grunge was be, grunge was, you know, passe and bloated, and we were we were pinned as a grunge band. So we got kind of, you know, but that happens to so many bands, you know. So. Isn't it interesting that it always happens right at the end of a decade? Or again, it used to. I don't know whether these cycles are as clear cut anymore. But, you know, there's a reason why the Beatles broke up in 1970. 
you know, well, I'm sure there's many reasons, but you look at these moments in time and there's a reason why the, you know, the first wave of punk was kind of perceived to be over by most by 1979. And it's almost like, or at least it was for the latter half of the 20th century, every time a decade reached its conclusion, it was like, right, what's next? That's done. Yeah, yeah. And I think like, listen, before long before we broke up, you know, I mean, I mean, I think it kind of, yeah, I mean, I think you've got a point, but um, yeah, I mean, I think probably the great grunt, the best grunge stuff was in like 91, 92, 90, you know, and then it kind of, I don't know, but I, that's for you to say. I, I just think um, a lot of imitators came out who just weren't very good and, yeah, clogged, yeah, yeah. and clogged up the airways. And, uh, you know, well, and, I guess just alternative as a movement as a whole seemed to trickle out with the advent of, for me, two bands, Blink-182 and Limp Biscuit, And that ushered oh. in this whole new era of really dumb frat boy kind of spring break MTV you know, and it's, it felt for me as a kid living it like the alternative movement, even through to bands like Offspring and Green Day and, you know, the more punk end of the spectrum as well. And, you know, pumpkins were fizzling out by the end of the 90s and and it was this new thing and it was kind of just, yeah, like spring break soundtrack music. <laughs> yeah, it was almost was... like alternative became mainstream. And so there wasn't there was no more alternative. Yeah. And the and the and the broads were out of the picture. Mm -hmm. Forget about the breeders, forget about us, forget about, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I really think that, 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 you know, what's called grunge, but that sort of era of the early nineties and stuff there, you know, a lot of women got on uh, MTV in the rock, in the rock and alternative world. And uh, that vanished by the era that you're talking about. So maybe they got, you know, and (laughs) I've mentioned this before, but man, I remember I was on a treadmill in Las Vegas before a show. I was just kind of getting ready, you know, and uh, I saw the Spice Girls come on the TV in the in the gym and I saw this girl power and I was just like, what is this? You know, <laughs> I was like, oh, God, there goes the neighborhood, you know, like um, so this is this is replacing all of the the women who. Um, you know what I mean? They they yeah. they, they corporatized the the riot girls and and mm-hmm. us and everybody else with you know scary spice Gee, you know, who's that you know like who's scary like you know it's like who they modeled these people after you just wonder but um you know certainly cat from babes in toyland was quite scary as a performer and you know and then it got watered way down to uh, the Spice Girls, you know, and that that's what got on MTV after that. So um, the times they were a change. And let me ask yes. you about a band who I love so much. Um, the Muffs. Obviously, Kim is sadly no longer with us. I got to interview her once and I think they should have been, you know, kind of Green Day levels of big. I think they had the songs and I gather they were working with the same producer, Rob Cavallo, who kind of signed up both the Muffs and Green Day at the same time. But were they a band you ever came into contact with or shared the stage with? I don't think we ever shared the stage with them. I knew Kim uh, when um, because we used to share a rehearsal space with Red Cross and the Pandoras, and she was in the Pandoras at the time. So this is like 
87, 86, something like that. Right. Uh, Kim, Kim was in the Pandoras <clears throat> and, and we didn't really, we didn't really know them. I mean, we, we, we would see them, but they were kind of hot shit and they didn't really engage with us very much. Right, <laughs> so right, right. I think, I think we were like the new scruffy kids in town or something. <laughs> and, um, uh, so was Greg Hetson in Red Cross at that time or had he already gone on? Greg Hetson was not in no. Red Cross. It was the McDonald brothers and, um, oh, that tall, slim guy with the wavy hair on guitar. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't remember their names. I knew all their names back in the day. But uh, yeah, and then Ronnie from the Muffs, we had known for years. He he had uh, interviewed us in Texas, and he was a um, a reviewer for, I think, the Austin Chronicle or something like that. So I think that's how he met Kim, and they fell in love, and then he moved to L.A., and they started a band. I think that's how the story goes. But uh, I thought the Muffs were great. And, you know... I didn't even see them back in the day, but I got their CD from Rob Cavallo and I listened to it and I was like, damn, these are good songs. Like these are catchy as hell. And um, yeah, why they didn't become a bigger band, who knows? Yeah, they definitely had the tunes. And uh, I was going to say, I think for me, yourself and Kim, my two favorite vocalists of that time, just the kind of primal, visceral I don't know. I think with Kim, it's less physical, but from you, I feel like it comes from a real kind of gutsy place, but both just, I could listen to you wail all day. Uh, oh, that's good. The best. That's very cool. Thank you. Hey, listen, before I let you go, um, John Waters, how was yeah. it getting to, did you kind of, you know, connect and, and, and get to share thoughts on life and, and some proper conversation with him or is it a bit more of a hectic kind of day shoot in and out sort of thing but you obviously appeared as the uh the fabulously titled camel lips in serial yes. mum um which i loved that film as a kid loved your performance in it loved the the trousers you guys are all wearing in it uh how was that experience and i presume as somebody who came from that whole 80s la art punk world that john waters was somebody that you held in very high regard Oh, indeed. And, uh, you know, we, it was a complete shock to be asked to do that, uh, completely out of the blue. I don't think he had ever worked with a rock band before. So we were kind of like the first, I, I'm pretty sure, but, um, we arrived, we got our pants on and, uh, we we went to set and uh you know he was very he was very friendly but he was all business like that guy was in full um director mode and uh you know it wasn't like there was a lot of hijinks going on backstage because you know he didn't have a big budget like there was it was very tight 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 so um uh you know of course we had our exchanged niceties and he signed my shock value book and uh love it yeah and um did you read his um hitchhiking book did i read that one it's I, uh, I can't remember the title but it's it's split into three sections so that he's like i'm going to go and hitchhike across america and section one is what he wished happened in like a, a fantastical dreamlike scenario 
the I second see. section is like his nightmarish version of everything that could go wrong and the third's what actually happened and it's mm -hmm. so fantastic oh i'll check it out you know i i read um i I've, I've read uh i think most of his other stuff i heard he wrote a novel recently but um yeah i'll check that out for sure i i heard him speak about it on a couple talk shows about his hitchhiking um and i heard some people who picked him up uh, on the radio uh but i'll check that out thanks for the thanks yeah, for the no worries you'll love and how is um how is kathleen turner she kathleen turner was lovely she was really really great uh just very i think she had no idea who we were and you know, <laughs> she's was, she was a big movie star you know yeah, <laughs> like, at that like, point she was massive wasn't she Oh, massive, you know, and it's uh, the fact that she was even in a John Waters movie. You've got to give her credit for that. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, that was really cool meeting her and Ricky Lake. And uh, we didn't meet um, Patty Hearst. Uh, Did you ever meet Divine? No, no. Oh my God! Could you imagine? That would be just it's something I've thought about a lot. You know, whenever it comes up, like your dream dinner party guest list or whatever, living or dead, and there's you know there's several that are always interchangeable. But for me, that wonderful creation, um, <laughs> yeah, is just one of my great regrets in life that I never got to even see the live performance, anything. But just yeah, because it's interesting. Like I often look at the roots of the LA punk scene in particular, but also I guess the New York one as well and how overlapped the kind of drag and queer community and the punk communities at that time were and mm -hmm. how exciting it all was. Um, and to have, I mean, was the LA, was, was Hedwig and the Angry Inch and all of that kind of things happening when, when you were around on, on the punk scene back then or had that already moved on to other places? Well, you know, um, when it, in in the art punk scene, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of eclecticism. Uh, there were cabaret shows, there were uh, drag shows, there were um, you know a real mixed bag of stuff, and there was just very serious, like overly serious kind of um, bum noise. out stuff, basically. <laughs> well, like I, either just kind of you know very. I don't know. Or or there was like just very serious noise going on, you know, mm -hmm. noise stuff or, you know, which at least at times could be interesting, especially if they were blowing up shit on stage or whatever. But, um, you know, I found by that time, the punk scene in L.A. Um, oh, God, I'll probably be fucking crucified for this, but I thought it was pretty macho. And um, it wasn't really my bag. A lot of, uh, you know, I, I don't like hardcore punk. It's like, it, it, to me, the the fun got sucked out of it with hardcore punk. It does it does uh, very little for me. So um, I'm inclined to agree. There's people within that scene that I love and have had great conversations with. But in terms of the music itself, it's never been yeah. something that's really spoken to me. Yeah. Get a date. <laughs> you know what I mean? Ask I a girl exactly out. <laughs> Ask a girl out, fellas. Um, so, or don't. Ask a yeah, guy yeah. out. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of how it was, and that's um, we didn't uh, 
you know, we didn't mingle with the heavy metal scene and we didn't even mingle that much with the hardcore punk scene. We just kind of alternative rock, the alternative scene was starting sort of um, in between the art punks and the hardcore punks. That's where our in was, you know, and we were one of the first bands sort of in that scene. There was cow punk going on, but that was kind of adult and um have you known davy catching from back in that time davy's a good pal of mine and uh he was actually responsible for me kind of going to check out your set at download because i just you know his excitement for for the set is what made um, me you know consider not missing it an option because i was running around trying to do so many things and absolutely love davy but i wasn't aware until me and him did one of these and i really got into the story of his life that you know he told me all his early like la punk stories and i had no idea he was like around for all of that but did you know him from back in that time as well when he was doing his was it the ringling sisters what was the group he was in with he was in the modifiers right right and they were from but he did do like a cow punk thing for a time right they did um you know i guess it would be called cow punk but you know if you're from the south it's probably legit yeah (laughs) you know what i mean yeah Yeah. it's it's just country with a bit more swagger right exactly it's country with some rock in it and uh, and swagger and humor and so that you know uh, but he tells me i'm one of the first people he met in los angeles and what's very interesting is i was in a band and i put on a benefit called rock against coat hangers and that it was for it was for planned parenthood and like wow. nobody was there, but the modifiers played. And that's when I met Dave Ketching. And uh, so just this band, like my band and his band, like no one was there, but I made it a benefit uh, for Planned Parenthood. And that was probably in like 85 or something, like before L7, no, 84, before L7 started. So um, so you've been friends for nearly 40 years. That's unreal. Yeah. Yeah crazy no. not we're not, we don't hang out a lot or anything but we love each other very much and uh he's doing a really cool record right now do you know that he's doing a, um yeah he's doing the 30 years of rancho isn't he yes yes i love so. davy he's a beautiful beautiful man he's one of yes, my favorite is. favorite people in the world he's the santa claus of rock and roll yeah yeah <laughs> and one of these days i'll get him to play on an l7 record oh, i'm sure uh, he'd be there in a heartbeat you should go yeah. rec- go record at the rancho then two birds one stone Boom. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, the Q&A, this is my last question, I promise. Um, and I'll, I'll let you get on with your day then. I've, I've really enjoyed this and I, I very much appreciate your time, Danita. The uh-huh. Q&A with Leiden and Marky, obviously there was others there, but they kind of pale in insignificance <laughs> um, when the Clash of the Titans kicked off. Uh. I've interviewed both of those guys. I love both of those guys. I think they're very different characters, obviously. Um, but what I loved the most about that whole event is how you've got like Duff McKagan and Henry Rollins and all these dudes, giants of rock, just kind of melting out of awkwardness <laughs> into the background and not wanting, you know, any part of this because they just don't know what the fuck to do. And you kind of just lean in and undercut the absurdity of it all with such grace and humor and cheekiness. And I was like, thank God Danita was there for that. Can you put us in the picture of, of what that was like being on stage when John Lydon and Marky Ramone started going at it about who was there first and who did it first and all of that? Hilarious. Well, you know, 
it's like it, it it when it was going down it was so bizarre and yet so entertaining and i was just laughing but also like oh, i was like my god these two guys they're in my two favorite punk bands of all time and they're and they they're they're going at it it was very um I don't know. I don't know why Johnny was had such a bug up his ass. Because I mean, I, how was your interview with John Lydon? Was I'll, I'll send you. I'll send you a link to it. It was one of the very first ones I did, and it really helped early on in this show's lifespan. Um, I've been doing it about six years now, coming Ooh. up on three hundred episodes. He was episode ten, um, and it it went so well, and he was such a beautiful, generous, gr- brilliant, great guy. And it opened so many doors because I'd be, you know, pitching about town to try and get guests for the show. And they'd just see, oh, well, if John Lydon's done it and it went well, this guy's legit. And I think there was two things that day. Well, there's probably a couple more, but one was there's, well, obviously, you know of the Prodigy because they covered um, one of your songs, didn't they? Which is amazing. So I think the day that Q&A took place, it was the day after um, Keith took his own life. Oh really? And him and that. him and John were very close. Oh, I did not so know I, that. So I think he was grieving for that, and then he was also on the source, which he tends to do a lot. So I think the combination of those two things put him in a weird headspace. If I had to just comment as somebody who doesn't know anything ultimately, but you know, I think for me, because there is footage of him on the red carpet that night, kind of just saying, "Look, if you're going through a hard time, come find me. Like, come find John. Talk to me. Don't let that be the only option." So I think he was cut up that his friend had taken himself out and, you know, went to the bottle and then had to then go and be on stage. Well, and also he didn't have a seat the entire time. Um, That's the final straw that broke the camel's back. (laughs) Probably. He was was standing for the whole screening. I think the screening was about a half hour. It wasn't two hours long or anything like that. It was just a, it was just a slice of the show um, of the series called punks punk. I don't know, but, um, so he was uh, he was standing and drinking. And also he said during that interview on stage that his wife, Nora, was um, he had to take the phone because she um, is suffering from Alzheimer's. So I think yep. he was probably under a lot of duress uh, that night. And um, but I think I got him laughing, which is really uh, <laughs> kind of funny. But um, uh so anyway, yeah, no, that was a trip. And um, uh, yeah, because, you know, I think he started to go after me, too, at one point, And then I kind of shut him down and he started mm-hmm. laughing. So, you know, once that happened, I wasn't scared because I was kind of scared. Like, I mean, I was laughing, but I was like, Jesus, if Leiden lays into me, man, I'm going to be so fucking bummed, you know, like, yeah. I don't even know who I am, you know, and like, I don't, I don't want any crap from John Leiden who I worship. Okay. And, um, and I love his interviews. He's one of the best interviews inter- his interviews are some of the best I've ever read. Um, so I didn't really want to be a target of an idol of an idol of mine. So I was a little nervous, you know, but then kind of once I've got a little laugh from the crowd, then I, I wasn't nervous anymore. <laughs> I just like, I, I didn't, you know, I, I felt bad for Henry who just kind of sank down in his chair and, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, oh God. But um, but I, I found it incredibly entertaining. And and the tit for tat between him and Marky Ramon was just unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable insults. It's like, it's like, you know, a Brooklyn guy 
with, you know, you know, a working class London guy. You don't, you know, who's going to win? It's, it's, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the two, um, as far as, uh, you know, English speaking Caucasian uh, areas, those are some pretty tough ones, you know? So uh, <laughs> to, for the two of them to be going at it was, was uh, masterful. Well, it was, it was hilarious. And I thought you killed it and just did a great job, as I said, of cutting through the, the tension and absurdity yeah um, and it was wonderful <laughs> to witness i've got a few friends who were there in the room as well and they said it was brilliant yeah, ah, yeah that was, um, i felt pretty good afterwards that <laughs> i didn't uh, that i didn't melt into my chair so uh, <laughs> well I, all I, those years i guess are holding your own on stage this all comes so. in, in in you know use doesn't it this is training for these moments like when you're at QA and a with two of your idols and they start fighting you've got all these years worth of <laughs> training to draw from <laughs> good point uh probably um being heckled and such possibly prepared me for for that evening of of the punk panel <laughs> the infamous punk panel are you happy though are you in a good place um you know in life right now is is everything kind of where you you hoped it would be i mean it's been such an amazing ride and and you know obviously the band's back and making new music again and playing shows again and has everything panned out at least the way you you hoped it would up until now and are you excited for for what's still to come yeah you know um i'm very glad the band's back together um i i uh did other musical stuff when in when the band was not together and i'm proud of it but it went nowhere and um you know it really makes you realize like god damn when you've got a when you've got a band that makes it that is rare even if you make it only halfway up the hill it's it's such a rarity it's such a needle in a haystack um so i i feel like i have a, a piece of my identity back cuz i was pretty um I was pretty insecure when we broke up and i'm just really just not even you know just trying to hide from people and like just trying not to look like Danita Sparks at all. Like just really, you know, just, you know, uh, just trying to be invisible sort of when I went to the market or whatever. It was, you know, weird shit happens to you. And, um, you, you know. I get uh, it. I get it. Yeah. You know it's, what I mean? It's, it's just... who, who am I without that? And, and I guess yeah. that, that, you know, 13 year period, which is a long old time. Um, yeah. And you know, you know who's. Um, you contend with. I loved reading um, uh, Viv Albertine's book. Yeah, I love her. Did you read her book? Yeah. She so talked about that. She talks about living invisibly, like, so no one knows who, you know, when she was raising her kid or just living in the suburbs or whatever, like, just not even showing that she had ever been in the rock world at all with her outward appearance because she didn't want to explain anything, you know? So, I really enjoyed her book uh, and her comments about that. I related a lot. Um, so, yeah. But uh, did right, you do well, some good work in that time, though? Did you feel like the time was useful and valuable to yeah, rediscover I, I, who you are? And I put out a record called Danita Sparks and the Stellar Moments, and uh, it went nowhere, but I like it. So I'm happy I did that. Um, and D was my drummer. So that, you know. Oh, awesome good uh but i like that record a lot 
And um, yeah, so, but L7 is, uh, you know, that continues to um, bring fruits of opportunities for all of us. So uh, I'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad we're together. I'm glad it's all the original, somewhat original members. You know, our dream team is back. So, uh, and everybody's everybody's feeling grateful to to have the band again. Amazing. And what's on the immediate docket for you guys? Well, we've got uh, we've got shows coming up in May in the United States, and then um, we're going, and then I think some more shows in the United States in October, and then we're going to Australia in December. So we just keep milking this cow, man. It's like, <laughs> well, it's there it's, to be milked. That's right. So, uh, and and hopefully we'll get over to the UK next year because that would be really great. At least to play you know, a couple cities. I know. I know London has been um, very patient with us. We we've canceled a couple tours because of COVID, and they're 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 complaining. And we hear you. So uh, we want to get over there next year. Well, it's tough now, um, and there's certain other. Um, you know, obstacles which which weren't there before, and I think everybody does ultimately understand that, even if they you know still voice their displeasure online. Um, well, we look forward to hopefully that not being too far from now, and um, yeah, let's do one of these again sometime. Maybe we could do one in person when you are over. Maybe we could go out and have a coffee with you and Harriet or something. Um, that would be great. And um, Matt, thank you so much. And let's turn on let's let's say goodbye on video. Let's do it. I've enjoyed this very much. Oh, awesome. Yeah, me too. It's been great. I've been looking forward to it for ages. And uh, I'm going to send you on Instagram, check your DMs in about an hour. I've got to just go do a few things, but I'm going to send you a link to that John Lydon interview. Um, oh, please. No worries about listening to it if you're busy, but if you do want to dive in, it's one of my proudest and favorites, and he is so brilliant in it. And it's it's pretty wild. It's a bit, yeah. it's a bit um, unpredictable, but it's ultimately... A positive and productive chat and yeah he comes across genius. really well he's a he's fucking genius you know i think and he you know i think he's for me anyway he's one of the very few that had two great bands that's the most important two. detail is people forget that like obviously two. the pistols are awesome but if you respectfully yeah, look at what paul cook glenn matlock and um steve jones did after the pistols I can kind of take or leave all of it, but Public Image Limited is an essential band that continue to write excellent, incredible music, continue to put on life-affirming, emotionally charged, wild shows. Yeah, um, agreed. And he's, he's an artist in every yes. step and stage of his life and career. And yeah, I've got nothing yeah. but love for yeah. Lydon. Amazing. Well, li listen, Matt, thank you so much. And uh yeah, when when we when we hop over the pond, we'll get together. Are you in London? I'm in Bristol, but I'm kind of here, there, and everywhere. I'm from okay. Birmingham. Go to London all the time. I'm a bit of a transient, but um, yeah, London's easy enough for me to get to. So okay, awesome. All right, Matt. Danita, you're a badass. Thank you for a wonderful chat, and uh, yeah, have a great day, and hope to see you in the okay. real, real soon. Ciao for now. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>
discover to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.